Bibles to John chapter 11. It's good to have Mark and Joanne back with us. Uh, there on the front row, Mark and Joanne Walters uh, connected to us in heart, mind, body, soul for many, many years. But they are a perfect example of the last part of our mission statement, win the lost, disciple the found, mend the broken, and send the whole. And, uh, you know, God's assignments are usually tied to our passions. And Mark is one of those, he and Joanne and all their babies, they're not babies anymore, they're grown, uh, build a car from scratch with two yardsticks, a paintbrush, and a roll of duct tape. They can build, you know, a race car. But they travel uh, to NASCAR events, or different race car, I should say, drag racing events, and do church and pastor the people that travel. And it's a really, really neat thing. And so uh, go online and look up JAMA, J-A-M-A Ministries, if that's your thing. I'm not really a sports car guy, but uh, when I see when them building and driving, it's pretty neat. But it's always good to have y'all when you're home, so thank you. Um, Lord willing, and I leave room to change this, but next week is probably going to be a very different type of ser service. I, I don't plan on preaching a sermon but I want to talk to you, if God allows, on the subject, how should we live? Uh, how loud should our voice be today? Where should we stand? How should we stand as believers uh, when we see the destruction of society, the moral fabric? Uh, when is, where's the political line? Uh, how should we live? Do we just, uh, Jesus meek and mild? Or do we stand like Jesus uh, when he, you know, called people out and said, you know, your father's the devil. <laughs> There's a great distance between that. And I just want to cover some of the areas and maybe do some q and I'm not certain, but this is what's in my heart to do is to talk about our responsibility uh, somewhere between sticking our head in the sand and acting like nothing's going on to also being a voice of sanity and righteousness and asking the Lord the discernment. Because see, the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. So would that be beneficial to you if we talk through how should we then live amongst all this? Is that okay? For the rest of you, um, late day, I guess. Um, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Got a good portion of Scripture to read today. A very familiar passage, but I trust to come from an angle that will be uh, not just encouragement and revelational, but I believe this morning's message will be the answer to someone's cry that they haven't prayed. The answer to someone's cry that they haven't prayed, or maybe they have prayed. And it's on the subject of waiting on the Lord to answer us. See, for those of us who are true believers, firm believers, my problem is not that I don't believe, my problem is that I do. And if I do believe, then I expect him to answer. If I do pray, I expect him to answer. If I do stand firm, I expect to see the hand of the Lord. I expect to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And what you do with that weight and during that wait, W-A-I-T, what you do in that wait determines whether you're living a victorious Christian life or the devil has access to you through unbelief or discouragement or disheartenment. And I believe there's a lot in this passage that will deal with that situation and normality. John 11, verse 1, uh, if you're there, say amen. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the, the town of Mary, and Martha and her, of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was this Mary that anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, you know that Jesus represents the Father in the earth. This is a type of prayer. They sent a message to God about their brother. And when Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Do you know nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus told someone, I love you? 
doesn't say that he said those words. We know that God is love and that he showed it. And what that says to me, of course, it's not wrong to say it. But love is communicated through word, actions, deeds, countenance, uh, sacrifice, and those things. But it says here specifically that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Makes you want to change your name to Martha, doesn't it? Or Lazarus. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he still stayed two days in the same place where he was. And then after that, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now skip to verse 17. So Jesus came to where Mary and Martha and Lazarus were, and he found that Lazarus had laid in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nine to Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. And this was her first words to Jesus. Lord, so she knew who he was. If you'd have been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, mark that in your Bible, even now. You got to have an even now. Even now, whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother's going to rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Isn't that just like us? Our faith goes from yesterday to the resurrection, but we can't make it work today. If you'd have been here yesterday, my brother wouldn't have died. Oh, I know in the last day you're going to raise everybody up. What good is a faith that you can't operate in today? Okay, that's just free. That's just thrown in there. He said, I know he'll rise again in the last day, verse 25. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe thou art the Christ, the son of God, which should come into the world. Now, that's a wonderful statement, but that isn't what he asked her. Just go back and look at that later. And when she had said so, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly saying, the master has come and he's calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, was in the place where Martha had met him. And the, the Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, she rose up hastily, went out, followed her, saying, she goeth unto the grave to weep there. And then when Mary had come to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if you'd have just came, if you'd have just been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved Lazarus. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And he said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time, my brother is stinking because he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said unto her, this is one of my most favorite verses in the Bible. Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. And I know that you hear me always. Say that with me, always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus turned to them and said, loose him and let him go. Early on in my salvation, I heard a preacher preach on this subject. And he said, good thing he said, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he had just said, come forth, everybody that had ever died would have got up out of the ground and came forth. There's a lot of truth to that. That day's coming. I want to speak to you this morning by the grace of God on the subject of the wait between your prayer and the answer. 
The answer to your question, why hasn't Jesus come? Why is he taking so long? Did he hear my prayer? And by the time you leave, I trust that you will have a clarity about this, that our greatest need is not having all of our questions answered, but having a confidence that our prayer made it to the ears of God. Father, I just humble myself before you today. And I I know I say this often. I'm aware of it every time I pray it. And I'm not praying it for the people that's uh, here for their sake. It's good for me to say it because I know it to be true. At best, I'm an unprofitable servant. I really believe that. I, I know. And I'm grateful for the operative grace in my life. But I know that I have no confidence in my capacity or ability to communicate your truth and have it come to life. So I'm asking for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to rest on this vessel of clay and use me to communicate truth in such a way that people would leave not speaking about me or Christ Chapel, but they could get in their car and say with integrity, today I heard the voice of the Lord for my life. And let it be so, I pray today, God, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Early on, I was given a book of God's promises. I was taught that if you committed those to memory and quoted them in the right, at the right time and in the right way, with the right boldness, especially if you had a, you know, to it, that God would answer. I, it was kind of like a, you know, you hear words like bombard heaven. I always thought about that when I bombard heavens, bombs, you know, destroy, blow up as if heaven had a floor of brass that a believer couldn't get through. And we have to bomb God's unwillingness to make a crack in it so our prayers could get through, you know, like the warfare was against an unwilling God. And it was my faith. That was the key to God's unwillingness. Wrong. Then there was that if you applied the right verse to your situation, God has to move. Wrong. Um, That God is bound by his word, truth, and must do what you ask, false. Because it elim- anything that eliminates God's sovereignty as it pertains to timing, I can prove it to you. Here, here would be our shallow approach to the Word of God. By the way, you can pull a verse out of the Bible and make it say anything you want it to say. Okay. And whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. Is that scripture? Come on, is that scripture? Somebody said, I don't know. I haven't been reading mine like I'm supposed to. Okay. So whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe you shall receive it, then you shall have it. So now we got our positive confession. And I'm just going to use football because all other sports are insignificant. But uh, uh, so I believe that Georgia is going to beat Alabama. I confess and profess. And here's the crazy. I speak into the atmosphere like by the way, you're not a creator. <laughs> the power of life and death are in tongue, not creative life. Uh, so anyway, I, I believe on the scripture. I confess. So God is bound to do that. So the Alabama fan is over here. Pray in the same verse. He believes that Alabama is going to beat Georgia. He professes it to be so. Which one does God honor? You see what I'm saying? So for truth to be truth, it has to be applicable in every situation, at any time, history, present, or future. And if there is an exception, it's not truth. Once you find an exception, it's not truth. Okay, just to set framework and then we'll move fast along on this. That's the problem with relativism today. Relativism is the statement that there are no absolute truths. That's why all roads lead to God. You can pray to a rock or the air or a higher power or light or 
you know, God's in the air, breathe him. <gasps> Wasn't God good? Just craziness. You can just believe whatever you, <laughs> you want to believe. All roads lead to God. There's no absolutes. You can't say that that's a sin because there's no absolutes. Well, that statement, there's no absolutes, is an absolute statement. So if there's an exception, then that can't be reality. So when we develop our theology of prayer, it cannot be centered upon us manipulating God to do what we ask. The goal of prayer is not to get what we want. The goal of prayer is to honor God by faith. See, prayer doesn't change things. Prayer changes me. And God changes things. God is in control. And yes, he responds to prayer. But when you forget who's in charge, and you forget who is seated at the throne and the scepter of righteousness in his right hand, when you forget who makes the decrees, you don't decide on earth. Your, these decisions were decided before, for you before you were born. And it's our desire to walk alongside with God and let our requests be made known unto him, surrendering the outcome and the timing thereof into his hands. And when you do that, the peace of God that passes all understanding floods your heart and mind and you are calm waiting. And, you know, God is so gracious. He didn't say, enjoy it, like it. Do you, does anybody else like waiting? All you got to do is follow me, Kroger Publix, just follow me and see if I'm making this up. I will pick the line with the coupons. I will pick the one where the person's in training and doesn't know how to scan. If there's going to run out of receipt tape, just get in my line. It's going to happen. It's systematic. It's strategic. It was foreordained before the foundation of the earth to highlight my flaws and to teach me my humanity and... Uh, Several years ago, I was in line at a Kroger and I said, out loud, just, just for me and God, I said, God, I'm so sorry I'm not patient. I'm just sorry. He goes, oh, it's not, it's not impatience. And I'm like, hitherto, what have you said? It's not, it's not impatience, it's pride. I said, what? No, no, you're not impatient. It doesn't bother you that register seven's moving slow. It bothers you that the line John Wood is in is moving slow. Oh. So see, usually, and I said that's not part of the sermon, it's usually just to let you know that your problem is usually worse with yourself than you realize. Uh, anyway. All right. So what do you do when you're praying about everything from small things to big things? What do you do in the gap between the request and the answer? The cry and the deliverance. The longing and the tree of life that shows up for you. You need to remember some things if you're taking notes. Number one. First of all, if you're not praying for nothing, you're probably not disappointed, but you're probably backslid. So you ought to be praying about some things. Number one. When God hasn't come, you can use that dot, dot, dot. When he hasn't showed up, remember that being a believer does not exempt you from difficulties and sorrows. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were believers. They were his friends. They loved him and were loved by him. They housed him, served him, followed him, defended him, supported him, shared their home with him, their meals with them, their greatest joys, and their deepest sorrows. In the back of our mind, though, I don't know where we got this. I don't think it was as much taught as assumed. We believe that if we are faithful in a world of unfaithful people, if we stand in a world where people cower, if we're bold in a world where people are timid, if we love God and love the truth, then we are exempted from the same hell that other people experience in this world. And being a believer does not exempt me from any of the tests, trials, tragedies, losses, shortcomings, funerals, sicknesses. It doesn't exempt me from any of those things. 
then what is the benefit, you would say, of being a believer? I'm glad you asked. It equips me with the Word of God and the Spirit of God that sustains me and keeps me buoyant and gives me clarity and humility of heart that I can navigate through things that other people die in. That's the benefit. Yes, there are healings. Yes, there are miracles. Yes, there are times when God opens doors that no man can open and he shuts doors that no man can shut. But the testimony is not when the Red Sea, only when the Red Sea opens. The testimony is how he sustains a people through 400 years of slavery. How he kept his people together. How he sustains the fatherless and the motherless. How he gets the one that's shattered and he restores them. He didn't keep them from the tragedies that shattered them in their childhood, but he gloriously restored them in their 20s and 30s, and now they're trophies of God's grace sitting here clothed and in their right mind. You need to remember that we are special, but we're not special. My importance to God does not create a bubble around me that nothing can happen to me. But hear me and hear me well. But in everything that happens to me, not some things, everything that happens to me, I have an advocate to God. In everything that happens to me, I have a constant flow of the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead quickens my body. I have the same truth standard that Chris was talking about that is unshakable, unmovable. That rock under my feet is Jesus himself. My anchor within the veil is Jesus himself. I have the knowledge that nothing can separate me from his love. I am equipped, empowered, sustained, motivated, driven, compelled, and kept by the power of God through faith. My standing doesn't exempt me. But it does guarantee me safe arrival on the other side. Guarantees me safe arrival on the other side of what, John? Everything. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Mark 4.35 and Mark 5.1. Mark 4.35, Jesus said to the disciples, and let us go to the other side. And then horrible storm, all of this happens, all of this happens, all of this happens. Mark 5, 1 says, and they came to the other side. That's right. And if God says we're going to the other side, to the other side we're going to go. Contemporary charismatic theology teaches us, if you are right with God, you're an elitist. You are different in the sense of all of these protections and blessings. Well, Brother John, doesn't the angel of the Lord encampeth around those that love him to deliver them? Yes, deliver them from what? They don't get anything. Huh? Well, what can, wait a minute. How can he deliver me from something that hadn't happened to me? Oh, I'll go one better for you. And y'all have heard me say this before. I was preaching in Millersville, Georgia, 103 years ago this Sunday. I was preaching... I remember it like yesterday. I drove up. I was sick. Oh, not, not Corona. Not, have y'all, have y'all? I just, you can just cough and croak, like just cough. And people are like, Rona, is that you? No, I just coughed. I'm not, I'm not sick. I'm good. I promise. I promise. So I go, but I'm sick. I've got the flu, sinuses, eyes are, you know, <laughs> jaundice. You know, you just, you just look like death on a soda cracker. There's no... There's no mistaking that I'm sick. So I get there and the preacher's like, well, glory to God, how are you? I'm sick. What'd you say? I was sick. Don't say that. You need to be more positive. I'm positive I was sick. <laughs> he said, You're, don't speak it. Don't speak it. I'm thinking, I didn't speak this into existence. <laughs> and I, didn't, I can't speak it out. I'm sick. And he turned blood red vein come up on his head just angry and he goes I don't 
I don't even know if you should preach with that unbelief. You know, when you're sick, you kind of have a, a slowness about you, but you ain't got time for it. You know, I'm not going to fuss with you because I ain't got the energy to fuss with you. But I will. I am compelled to address ignorance at every stage. You know, so I, I said, "What preacher? Preacher, just just riddle me this, okay? Would you just be patient with me? I'm just a young uh, young man trying to make it in an old preacher's world, okay? Just riddle me this. I'm not sick. Exactly. That's my confession. Exactly." then how can God be my healer? I don't have nothing. I thought he was going to hit me. I thought, he goes, I'm not sick. How can you call for people to let the elders of the church pray for you? You don't have nothing. See, common sense is no longer common. So what's the balance? The balance is somebody walks the aisle and says, my wife of 42 years is diagnosed with stage four cancer. Those are the facts. But my God said that I could have her anointed with oil and pray the prayer of faith and the Lord would raise up those that were sick. Preacher, call for the elders of the church and I'm going to stand in faith believing that the power of God is going to meet her where she is. And either one or two things is going to happen. That cancer is going to dissipate and leave her body or she's going to go home and be with the Lord and wait on her resurrection body. But as for me, I put it in the hands of God and I leave it with him. That's faith. Number two. When God hasn't come, remember who it is that you're waiting on. Remember who it is that you're waiting on. I know you're waiting, but when you emphasize more what you're waiting on than who you're waiting on, you lose your peace. When you can more clearly articulate to me how long you've waited, how long you've prayed, how you've done right, and then, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. It kind of throws shade on him, doesn't it? We ought to be more clearly able to articulate the faithfulness of God to those who call upon his name. We ought to be able to stand and give testimony. Testimony means like I saw the wreck. Let me testify to you what happened. When we testify of God's faithfulness, of his power, of his consistency, of his goodness. You need to remember who it is that you're waiting on. The creator of all things. The sustainer of all things, the defender of the weak, the one that invites us to pray and swears to answer it. That's the one I'm, I'm calling on. I'm calling on the one who rained uh, food on the Israelites, who provided water for them in the wilderness. I'm waiting on the one that sent fire from heaven to Mount Carmel in front of the Baalite prophets. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on the one that has kept his promises to a thousand generations. I'm waiting on my mama's God and my daddy's God and my grandfather's God. I'm waiting on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm waiting upon the one whose it's impossible for him to lie. There hath not failed one word of all his good promises. That's who I'm waiting on. When you emphasize uh, more on what you're waiting on, you get discouraged because you're looking at what is missing. When you focus on who you're waiting on, you come to realize that at any moment, at any time, my God can speak to nothing and it will become. In a moment, in a flash, a suddenly. This is God I'm waiting on. That's why I've attempted in the 25 years God has allowed me to serve this church in the role that I have is to put your trust and your, your, to convince you of your need, not for me or man, but God himself. Because if you're waiting on John, John might bring a measure of God with him. If you're waiting on God, God will bring all of who he is with him at every time. You're waiting on the one that loves you. The sisters went out to him, verse 3, saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one to whom all power is given in heaven and earth. When they sought help, they sought his help. It wasn't Jesus plus someone else. 
It wasn't Jesus among many others. He was first choice, not last chance. When they sent their request, they appealed to his love for them. When the disciples saw Jesus pray, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, always pray in relationship. Our Father, that's how you pray. Don't come to God with your faith first. Come to God with your understanding of your relationship to him. And Jesus hadn't died yet in this story. So they came to him and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. That's my approach. I am heard not because I quote the King James Version right. I'm heard because he loves me. Loves me. They didn't multiply their words. They didn't tell him uh, how to do it, what to do it. They didn't give him demands. They knew who he was and what they meant to him and that nothing was impossible to him. Number three, when God hasn't come yet, remember not to let unanswered questions get the best of you. Don't let unanswered questions get the best of you. Here's some of what Mary and Martha could have thought as well as what we've thought in the past. I wonder why he didn't prevent this from happening in the first place. Can't he do that? I don't know who this is for this morning, but that was a big hurdle for me. I've had two of them that almost took me out as a person. If you control everything, couldn't you have prevented blank? And the answer is yes. But then if God controls us like robots, our cry would have been, why haven't you let us have free will and free choice? And most of our scars happen at the hands of others or by our own choices. I bet they wondered, did Jesus get the message? Have you ever prayed this? Are you even listening? Can you, like, if I'm, by the way, can I, this ain't even in my notes. Oh, thank you, Lord, for having me remember this. Don't text me. I don't text. I text with one finger. It takes me seven days to reply to a text. And then I'm sending cuss words and I didn't mean to send them. Don't, <laughs> please, call me. I have people every day. Did you get my text? No. And they, and they look so perplexed. Like, how come? Because my notifications aren't on. Because then I got to text back and then wreck and kill my children. No, call me. So I thought, just throw that out there for free. So did John get the message? No, call me. Okay, so that just freed me up. So anyway, where am I at? Oh. But when you, I like when, the, when you do call somebody or text and they open it, you got them. I didn't get it. Yeah, you did. Anybody else ever feel that way? And you tell your wife, they got it. They read it. They just haven't replied. Have you forgot they've got six crazy kids? They may not have had a second to reply to your message. But I like knowing if somebody opens the email, right? Right? Don't you? I like knowing you open the text. Every time you call upon the Lord, check. Don't stop. Just stop. Did you hear me? God is so powerful. And so faithful that if every Christian, comma, every person in the world called on him at the same time, his capacity is so great, it would be as if you were the only one talking. Did you even hear me? Yes. If you did hear me, why didn't you hurry up? And why are you still not here? If he wasn't coming in person, why didn't he send one of his disciples? I could hear him saying these things. If he wasn't coming, couldn't he have just sent the word like he did for the centurion's son? If you're not coming to the house, just send the word and, and raise Lazarus. If he wasn't coming, why didn't he at least send back word as to why? See, that's, that's what we want to know. And it's even in our hymns, you know, when we get to heaven, we'll ask the reasons. He'll tell us why. No, you won't. 
You'll be so happy to be there, you ain't going to ask him nothing. You ain't going to ask, I promise you when you get to heaven, I just really need to talk to you about, you ain't going to say nothing. Some of us are addicted. We have a greater desire to know all the details than we do to know the character of God. That's our hang-up. What do you do when you look to God and God alone and God hasn't responded? It was the silence of Jesus, not the sickness of Lazarus, that was the hardest to bear. You need to write that down. They could handle Lazarus' sickness, but they could not handle Jesus' silence. When we cannot hear his voice or cannot see his hand, it's to then we have to trust his heart. And I think that's part of the delay. God wants to get us past immediate response to the place of deep trust. I couldn't tell you why he waits. I couldn't tell you why we have to have, I got diagnosed this week with arthritis. Uh, I thought I'd broke two of my fingers because I couldn't hold a jar or something. Oh, you shouldn't say that. Please quit. Please, I'm telling you. I done told the Lord when we get ready to have these resurrected bodies, I said, you ain't got to save none of my parts. None of them. Just throw the whole thing away. <laughs> and I don't even know what I was telling you about that. God com God's commitment to us is not to answer all of our questions, but to keep all of his promises. But what I was saying is I've, I've prayed over this and I, I've prayed and I've asked the Lord, you know, and it's a small thing. It's not a big thing. I, I would like to be able to hold a cup this way, you know, uh, but it, it's tied to stupid choices. You know, jumping off roofs when I was young and played tackle football for five years with no pads. The concussion protocol, I should be dead. Y'all know, driving motorcycles, jousting with rakes and shovels and, you know. I don't know what's wrong with me. I do. I'm paying stupid tax. I know exactly what's wrong with me. That's why I'm two inches shorter today than I was back then. Jumping off roofs. Oh, there. There's your answer. Here's your sign. You know. God's commitment to us is not to answer all of our questions, but to keep all of his promises. What do you do? Pastor John, give me some practicals. When my current experience doesn't match the promises that I claim. That was my hurdle. I remember sitting in Andy King's office, Christ Chapel, Warner Robins. I'm laying on the couch and I'm at one of the darkest times of my life. And he kept trying to infuse me with confidence. And by the way, when you're traveling through God-ordained delays, God is not trying to get the answer to you. He's trying to get the answer in you. And, he, and Andy was talking and, and he took the time for me. I'm not making light. And he gave me great counsel. But I did not know what I'm telling you until afterwards. I said, Andy, this is my problem. My expectation and faith, my reality does not match his promises. My expectation and my faith sent heavenward does not match what God said he would do. So are you saying God's a liar? I'm telling you that my reality does not match his promises. And they're close to accusation. But I said, I can't accuse him. I'm just telling you, if you ask, if God asked me, have I kept my word to you? It would seem like no, Lord. And that's when I have to close my eyes and take a step, but you can't lie. So in the flesh, I would have to answer no. That's the facts. But the truth is, I know you haven't lied. So how do you, anybody else, how do you navigate this dynamic? Here's practical advice that I would share with you from my life. Rehearse. Write these down. Rehearse. Over and over what you know to be true about God. 
Just like elementary school, rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Get back to your ABCs. I know God is faithful. I know God is truthful. I know God cannot lie. I know God is all powerful. Go ahead and reestablish, rehearse your theology. Make it concrete to you. Relive. Relive the many times, quietly or miraculously, that God has come through for you. Open your legal pad, unplug your phone, put your crazy dog outside, farm out the kids, get a legal pad down, and write down just the two or three words, the, uh, the, 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 the marital problem, the, the almost lost the house, almost lost my mind, the nervous breakdown, the death of my mama, the death of my dad. Write down those things and how you couldn't see out, you couldn't see over or through, and God persevered and pushed through and sustained and healed and restored and you have those. I can give you a top five immediately of those places that if you hooked me up to a lie detector test on this stage and said, will you make it? And I would have said no and I would have passed the test and I made it anyway. Rehearse those things. Chris said it. So the God of that the God of those dark years, the God in the beginning of our ministry, when you step out on nothing and you're held up, it's the God that comes through. You remember the ways, and you would say, I never saw it coming. And then from out of nowhere, a call came or a check came. And I went into the doctor on Tuesday and he said, there's no hope for your wife. There's no hope. There's no hope. There's no hope. And then that Friday he said, we don't know what to tell you, but all the tests are different. You remember those things, relive them. Not just say them out loud. Go back. Close your eyes. Go back and remember how you felt. Remember how you went out in the hall and knelt down in the floor and lifted your hands and said, How great are you, O oh God? Remember that God is too wise to make a mistake and too loving to be unkind. Renew your mind. Purge it from all fear and unbelief. Now, I cannot speak creatively, but I can spread disease creatively. Let me give you an example. If I'm perfectly healthy, Kelly's standing behind, beside me and Kelly's sick, my health won't jump on her. But if she's coughing and hacking, or you all, well, let me say this, all her kids, you know, your kids come home sick, guess what? Three days later, take a picture, that's going to be you. That jumps on you. So I can't create a health, but I can share in the sickness. That's why you have to, you have to do this. God will not do it for you and other people cannot do it for you. Cast down every vain thought that vaunts itself against the knowledge of God. You do that. If it questions God's integrity or goodness or kindness or him being current, or him being faithful, throw it down. Give it no root. I know better. I know better. Well, I'm feeling like, does that contradict the word? Does that feeling contradict the word? Then throw it away. Well, I can't just get rid of a feeling. Yes, you can. You can aggravate your feeling to death to, when it, to where it wants to leave. I'm not, I refuse. I refuse. I'm not ignoring you. I'm saying, no, that's not true. That's not who God is. How can you say that? Because the Bible says to resist the devil and he will flee from you. And anything that comes against the nature and the word of God is satanic in origin. Respond to your situation with words of faith, confidence, and expectation. I love how David, David in one verse covers the gamut of how we're supposed to react. He didn't ignore his situation. He told you the truth and then he shared his expectation. He said, I almost fainted. I was, my knees were buckling and I was falling. I almost fainted, but I chose to believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And because I stood, I saw. And because I continued, just hang on, baby. Morning always comes. Spring always comes. Answers always comes. God's faithfulness always comes. But you have to continue because if you turn back, God finds no pleasure in the one that turns back. 
Reposition yourself back on the foundation of your faith and say, even now. I love when she said, but even now. By now, Lazarus is stinking, but even now. It's too far gone, but even now, I believe that whatever you ask of God, Christ, he'll do it. And now we say, I believe, Father, no matter what, even now. If you've got that in your, not back pocket, but in your soul, and the report comes A, B, C, D, E, what you got to say, John? But even now. Even a tree, when it's cut down, the Bible says, at the smell of water will spring another root of life. Even now, Lord, you can renew my mind. Even now, you can heal my body. There's nothing too difficult for you, Lord. You talk like that for about five minutes, and you feel like you're walking on about six inches of air. Even now, Lord, speak. And then rejoice. Rejoice. Because whatever you're going through is not unto destruction, but for the glory of God. Very quickly, number four. Search out and be ready to receive what God has said about your situation. Search out and then be ready to receive what God has said about your situation. You don't get that in a God's promise book. You get that in your devotional life and God quickens that rhema to you. Let me give these to you quickly for them. Here's an example. He heard their request. It said in verse four, when he heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. He heard their request and spoke. When you know that God hears your prayers always, you receive that word. I'm not going to worry about you hearing me because you hear me always. He heard their request and brought it into context. He said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. He was not in a hurry. He abode two more days in the same place where he was. So if God did that with Lazarus, sometimes he waits two days, two weeks, two months, instead of coming because in context, it has more to do with God's glory than my pain. In context. He spoke of his intentions. He said, Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I might wake him out of his sleep. I'm going to go wake him out of his sleep. Did you know he knew what he was doing before they knew what he was doing? Oh, that wasn't even in my notes. I don't know who that's for. See, we think that God is moving once we know. There are some things in place going on as we speak in this room. God's already spoke over your family. God's already spoke over your past and your future and your job, your enemies. And you haven't heard nothing yet. But when he said, I go that I might wake him, if they never heard it, it was going to happen anyway. Isn't that good? If our musician would come, please. He revealed what he was going to do. He said, your brother shall rise again. Search out what God has said in his word about himself and what will be applicable to your situation. And if you find it in there, let that be your standing ground. Let that be your standing ground. You are not responsible for the outcome. Listen, you are responsible for your confidence in God. Because there are people that look to him as deliverer and they were burned at the stake for their faith. There are people that would tell you that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty God. And they were torn, torn apart by lions in an arena with an ungodly king making sport of them. Let me get to this last part. There comes a time. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. It's, sometimes, Jason, you know, Mark... When preaching is just fun, you just get that feeling like, y'all, this is, this is going to be good right here. There comes a time in every, you can mark it down, underline it, highlight it, every trial and test where God responds. Every trial and test, God does something. Jesus shows up. Late, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. He said, 
Where did you lay him? Take me to the place that you thought I stopped caring and that I stopped being God. Take me to the place where your circumstances were so painful and final that you gave up. Take me to the place where you stopped believing, believing that I would come, believing that I would help, believing that I would heal, or believing that I could restore. Take me to the place where you decided that I did not care for you. Take me to the place that you stopped worshiping me for who I was and instead grew resentful over what was left undone. Take me to the source of the decay and smell of death in your life. Where did you lay him? Take me to the place where your hope died and you buried your expect expectancy of me. Take me to the last place you were joyful in my presence and content with my leading. Take me to the place that you sealed with stone so that you would never have to hurt that way again. Take me to the place that you sealed with stone so you wouldn't have to look on that, what you thought was my failure, so that you would not hurt that way again. Jesus said, take away the stone. First of all, where did you lay him? Then he said, take away the stone. Not to help me raise him, but so that you can see him come out. You have buried things that were dead to you, dead in time, but they were only sleeping to me. They said Lazarus had died. Jesus said he was sleeping. Did Jesus lie? No, what he was doing, he was trying to speak God to us. He said, yeah, he's dead and he's decomposing, but... Um, in the context and framework of God's plan, it's going to look more like he's asleep. You know, you wake somebody and they're back. That's what's going to happen. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Believe. Believe. That's your only job. Believe. Man, you want something to put on your refrigerator? You want something to put over your bathroom mirror? Put it in your car? That one thing. If I believe, I will see the glory of God. That's a fact. That's, a, that's not just a context promise. That's to everyone that believes. Those that believe in, unto, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, they will see and be eyewitnesses to the glory of God in their life. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, I thank you that you heard me. And I know that you hear me always. And that's your advocate, by the way, that prays for you. And Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. And his face was bound with a napkin. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound. And Jesus said unto them, loose him. And let him go. I don't want anything on him that looks like I don't care. That looks like death. That looks like I don't look after those I love. And I don't have the final say in the life of everyone and everything that belongs to me. In closing, I want to talk to you just a second about Lazarus. First of all, Mary and Martha. They roll the stone back in the arid blistering hot place where they were the stench was just pulsing from that tomb I don't know if you've ever smelled a decaying body or a burnt body you never forget it it's, it, it's unmistakable and as they cover their noses with their fabric Jesus says Lazarus get up and that dead man come up and he said, untie him. Take all the grave clothes off of him. What was Lazarus thinking? Does, does he know? Well, scripture teaches us that when, before the death of Christ, when people died, they went to Abraham's bosom, the upper part of Sheol, and the unrighteous stayed in Hades. 
and they would talk to one another. Remember the rich man saw Lazarus and asked him to dip his tongue so they could see one another. So he's down there. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us. So I'm very clear to say, this is your pastor. This is how I think I'm like, how'd this go? Say, Lazarus, what was happening? I was waiting on the Lord. Well, what happened? Oh, no. Did he get the message? I don't know. Doesn't he love you? Yes. Could he have sent the word to heal you? Yes. Why do you think he didn't care enough to come? I don't think it was care, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And at the same time, maybe he was talking to some other Old Testament saint. He heard a voice, a familiar voice, <laughs> a divine voice, an eternal voice, a voice with all authority and power and spoke to this dead man to do something that dead man couldn't do. The body was decomposed. The soul was fine. Get, I got to go. What? He's calling me. From I don't know. And somehow he went from there to that decomposed body. The body starts to compose. I love it when you can't explain it. I love it. Oh, you believe that? Yes! And he just comes out one minute. He's in upper Sheol with Old Testament saints. The next minute he's coming out. And they said, untie him and let him go. That had been kind of hard to do. I think I would have jumped up and untied him as some of y'all are wired a little different. But, oh, <laughs> you know. And they just untied him. What was it like when Jesus left town and they had their first supper? Lazarus, what happened? I don't know, you tell me. Jesus just called your name and he just, here you are. That's pretty wild, isn't it? Yes. You know, Lazarus didn't pay for no haircuts for a long time, you know? He went to eat. No, no, it's free, Lazarus. No problem, no problem. So why would God give us... Y'all stand with us. Why would God give us this story? Is it just to prove to us that the resurrection's coming? Or is there more to it? Is he speaking to the one that's dying physically and the one that's dying emotionally to one that's waiting for themselves and for the other that's waiting for someone else to the ones that are looking to God that are confused and perplexed and all they know is that they trust God. Could it be that the message is don't close the books until I close them? I ain't finished you got a few years left. Got a few surprises left. I got a little power left. And even if you die, if I decide to bring you back, I just bring you back. Don't be surprised before the Lord's coming. I'm just putting it out there. Don't be surprised if there aren't signs like that where people's uncle and others come back to life. If the Antichrist can do it, you don't think the Christ can do it? Okay. All power is in our God's hands. So I summarize it with this, and then I'm going to ask Brother Mark to come close for us. So what do you do in the wait? You reposition yourself, you rehearse what you know, you get your mind right, your clarity right, and then you just become like a little child and say, I don't know the when, the how, or the where, and I don't need my questions answered. I'm looking at the who of my God. That's who I'm looking for. And just for those that love to operate in faith, go ahead and move the stone out of the way anyway. So when he comes over that way, he said, I just thought you'd want this moved. I just figured you was going to do this. Faith. Not demanding, but faith. Believe. And if you believe, 
you're going to see the glory of God. Mark, would you come pray over us, buddy? I love you. I'm a preacher buddy. I love my preacher buddies. You know, it's interesting this morning. I, I get a chance to do a message online while we're out on the road. And this, the message that, the, that God gave me this morning was about hope. And that is the perfect, perfect segue into what John spoke about this morning. Because we have hope in between the gap, in between the prayer and the, and the reaction, in between the, between the prayer and the answer. We have hope, we have faith, and we have love. And so if you're out there and you're in that place where you've asked him, God, please help me with this situation. And that answer hasn't come yet. Don't take his silence for a no. Don't take his silence for a no. Take it as a not yet. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Your grace and your mercy lives in our lives. And Father, we ask you for so many things, and sometimes we ask you for the wrong things, but then there are times when we ask you for things in earnest that we truly need. But we wait and we pray. And we persevere. And we wait upon your blessed return. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for myself. I'm going to be selfish for a moment. And thank you for the confirmation that I heard in Pastor John and Pastor Chris. And what you spoke to me this morning. Father, you are our blessed hope. You are with us every step of the way. And I thank you for that. In Christ's mighty name, I pray. Amen.